0: Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast, where I get to interview people with incredible stories, getting down to the nitty-gritty of real life, what we really experience, what we struggle with, how we overcome, and the journey of the hero along that path, falling down and getting up. Today, I bring Jeff Soberg to the table. He's just your average middle-aged guy whose life changed for the better on July 6, 2016, when he lost three of his fingers in a work accident and severely damaged his wrist. Over eight months and six surgeries, hundreds of stitches and thousands of hours of PT, physical therapy, he returned to work a different man. Jeff, instead of staying in the dark space created by the loss of the use of his hand, decided to look for new doors that he could open for himself. He now has a mechanical addition to his hand, and he's embraced the CrossFit competitions where he's excelled and met inspiring individuals, and it's made all the difference for the trajectory of his life. Stay tuned to hear about his story. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. The night of Jeff's accident, his surgeon told him that he wouldn't be able to lift weights again. He didn't accept that. And today he takes pride in proving his surgeon wrong. He's a 55-year-old who is competing against 20 and 30-year-olds in adaptive CrossFit competitions. He's a big proponent of sharing the idea that we can overcome any challenge, climb any mountain we set our minds to, and that we can do it no matter our age or ability. Jeff, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you, Lori. (laughs) I'm... Very
1: happy to be here.
0: Well, you have a very interesting story, one of overcoming. But in order for us to get that whole story, take us to who you were in June of 2016. So before the accident happened, who was the character in this story before the accident? What type of person were you?
1: I was semi-active. I mean, probably active for my age at the time, 53, recently remarried. June was our six-month anniversary and just enjoying life Um, again. Happily married and learning what we could do together.
0: Where were you working? You were working as a machinist?
1: Yes, I work for Endeavor Refinery. We make the gasoline that everyone burns in their cars, and I'm a maintenance machinist that keeps all the equipment running at the refinery.
0: Okay, so you're average, everyday guy, excited about this new relationship that you're in. I'm um, looking to create something wonderful and moving forward. And here you are at work one day, and what happens? Take us to the accident.
1: Um, I was repairing a pump shaft in a lathe and had a glove on, and it got caught in the pump shaft. And pulled my hand into the lathe for a split second. the picture in my head was an inch at a time going up my arm. Mm. Time I jerked back and pulled my hand out and looked down to having a nice fountain coming out of the end of my hand and, two bright white chicken bones sticking out.
0: Oh, what did you think? What went through your mind?
1: Um, well, I'm on the ski patrol and I knew I had to stop the bleeding as quick as possible. So I applied pressure.
0: So when you say you're on the ski patrol, that means that you're trained in some first aid, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes.
1: Yes, I am. Okay. And... I called to one of my co-workers and told him to call rescue. Um, We have a rescue crew there at the refinery, but they are individuals that have their everyday tasks. And when something happens, they get an alert and... Proceed to wherever they need to go. So,
0: at this point, though, are you in terrible pain? Is the adrenaline rush huge? Are you just super calm because you're used to having to deal with this kind of thing? Where were you at?
1: There was a whole lot of pain and a lot of words coming out of my mouth. Um, But I knew I had to stay level headed at the time and thinking through things. Um, Knowing the rescue individuals, it might be five or ten minutes, depending upon where they were in the refinery, before they'd get to me. And we have an on-site clinic with a physician's assistant and nurse, and I was approximately 100 yards from that clinic. So what'd you do? Um, called to that same individual and asked him to walk with me. Um, at that moment in time, I didn't know if I would walk into the clinic, but I knew each step was a step closer to help and safety.
0: Were you afraid?
1: Uh, yeah, I was afraid a little bit, but. It, it's really hard by most senses. I never went into shock. But looking back at it today, yeah, there was a degree of shock. Well, sure, you're kind
0: of looking at your hand and it's not there. And <laughs> you've got yeah. bones sticking out. <laughs>
1: yes. But I did walk into the clinic. The nurse, um, she was probably one of the biggest messes that she had seen. And I looked at her and I told her to get all the gauze they had and to start packing and wrapping my hand. We had to stop the blood flow. So you had to tell her what to do? I was in charge of the situation the whole time. Hmm.
0: So once they got you to the hospital, I mean, how did they deal with it? What was the recovery process like? I mean, it seems, sounds like it was really long.
1: Well, the whole stint in the hospital, there's good points and bad points to going to a trauma one hospital. I got there approximately 3.30 in the afternoon and I went into surgery at 11.30 that night. Just because they were busy, or what was the holdup? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mine was critical, but not life-threatening, and the heart attacks and such took precedence over.
0: Oh, so uh, her, did they give you drugs, though, so you weren't in pain? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was flying high at that point in time. So how'd your wife handle this? I'm sure she got called, and she's brand-new wife, and what was
1: that like? Well, I can talk about the accident, um, very openly. But there are two points, two times in the story that will always touch me and I'll get very emotional. And I was sitting in the clinic and my boss comes in and asks me who I want him to call of which I told him my wife, Holly. And he calls her and tells her of which time she had no clue where the hospital was and had to ask co-worker how to get there and everything. And then my ride up in the ambulance, I handed the phone to the and asked him to call my oldest son to tell him. And the part that why I get so emotional is at that point in time, I was so vulnerable laying there on the stretcher me being the father, the breadwinner, and everything, and not knowing what my future was going to be like.
0: Not knowing if you'd be able to keep working or keep playing. Yeah. On.
1: Yeah. All of the above, you know. Um, as they were willing me into surgery that night, I. Um, I've always been active and maybe a little off center, possibly. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I asked my surgeon if I was going to be able to run the Red Bull 400 in six weeks. And he, he looks at me and he goes, you just lost half your hand and you're concerned about a race? Mm. well that
0: leads us into you know when we get to the end of the story and you're back competing and whatnot sounds like that was just something that is important to you
1: yeah it is um staying active and that goes back to my upbringing and stuff my parents were great but um my dad He was always the one that went the extra mile. I can remember about 10 years before he passed, he had both knees replaced. And he went to therapy every day. And if they told him to do five of something, he did 10 of something. Mm. And, you know, ultimately within six months of having his knees replaced, he was in the best shape of my life. Interesting. And then my mother, on the other hand, I was a caregiver for her for 15 years, and she had, she was getting elderly and had it where she would fall. And she'd get stress fractures and stuff like that, end up in the hospital, then rehab and everything. And she would just sit there and say, I hurt. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And she was waiting to wake up someday and just not hurt.
0: So there was a big difference between the way your mother and your father approached this type of life thing. And you got to watch that.
1: Yes, and it showed me, you know, two choices. I had the choice of being like Dad and pushing through, or being like Mom, who sat around waiting for the day she was to wake up and it not hurt anymore, of which she didn't realize. She was getting weaker every day. She did that.
0: Mm, Interesting example to be able to have that front row seat to that. And when did that kick in? You know, when you're rolled into the operating room and you're talking to the surgeon, you're asking him about, you know, when you can get up and get going again. Had that mindset already kicked in?
1: Um, The thoughts were in my head. And I spent five days in the hospital. And during that time in the hospital, I, you know, technology's nice. And I was on the internet looking at things, trying to figure out, you know, what my new life was going to be like. And one of the things that I came across was a YouTube video for what's called the Working Wounded Games. And I recommend everyone watch that video. It's the most inspiring thing to watch it is individuals that have challenges. Missing arms, missing legs, birth defects to accidents, soldiers, and it's a competition that's held back east in Baltimore each year. And these individuals, you know, no legs, down on the ground, picking up a sandbag and putting every ounce of effort they have into it to try and throw it up over a pull-up bar.
0: Wow. So let me go back real quick then to your injury. Um, So when you came out of surgery, had they just amputated three of your fingers off? Is that where you were at?
1: Um, No. Well, my fingers were pulled off in the accident. Three of Um, them, right? Yes. Okay. Now, two of them, they call it degloving, where it pulled all the tendons. The skin
0: and the muscle, yeah.
1: Yeah. Ah. Those were the chicken bones that I saw. Right. So, at that point in time, they did some skin grafts, taking skin off my hip and sewing over those bones. And then... The doctors also cut my arm open, my forearm clear to the elbow to release the pressure and get as much blood flow out to the tips. And um, for three days, my arm was wide open there. And then they went back in and tried to sew it back together and it was still swollen too much. So they did another skin graft. So I have some good scars. Um, Chicks dig scars. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, so now you have with your mechanical piece that's on your arm. I mean, tell us how all that came together. Um,
1: it took... 11 months. Now, over the, the first eight months, I had more surgeries. And the last surgery I had was Valentine's Day 2017, where they went in and, the polite way, did revision, taking away part of those chicken bones. Because all I had was skin over bone Mm. and there wasn't enough blood flow, internal parts to keep it healthy.
0: So that's kind of like an amputation, right? They just took them all the way
1: down? Yeah, they took one finger all the way back to the MP or knuckle joint and the other one we left one joint out. As it stands right now, I have a thumb and a pinky and then my ring finger has one joint to it. Okay. That was so, if I didn't have a prosthetic, it wasn't quite as far of a reach for pinching actions and stuff like that. You know, before the accident, you don't realize how many things you do with your fingers.
0: Oh, I bet. What was the hardest thing to do without them?
1: Um, well, it's just picking stuff up. You know, the fine, delicate things, because I have to reach so far. You know, how many times do you sit and take and touch your thumb and pinky together, doing stuff? Um, folding clothes, sorting through papers. those are the things that
0: you take for granted, and once you don't have them, then you realize how
1: hard it is.: Yeah, that's what um, increases my blood pressure. And the pain is doing those fine, delicate things.
0: What was your mindset while you were going through all of this, the rehab, the long months of doing it? you know, I, I know there was a space where you couldn't do much, and you were just sitting around. What was the mindset there? And how did you get inspired to decide to get up and make changes? and
1: Well, I knew from the get-go that I needed some help and so help with what everything um psychological okay. the trauma mm-hmm. of the accident and everything so within probably about four weeks i started going to a trauma specialist psychologist That we worked through you know the ptsd associated sure type stuff was then, that hard to do yeah it was to begin with um after you know a few sessions it came to the point where i had to start living the accident and telling the, the accident and recording that my story and My task was to listen to that, you know, to begin with, it was to listen to it as often as I could, of which it started out, you know, maybe once or twice a week.
0: Why was that important to do, to keep reliving it?
1: To make it not so real. To get comfortable. You know, whenever you do stuff repetitively, you get comfortable with it. Okay. Um, So by listening to the story and realizing, you know, it didn't kill me, Mm -hmm. still here, I could get comfortable with it.
0: So did you have to deal with nightmares or you know, depression of, you know, not knowing what you were going to be able to do. What was the psychological repercussion that made you need to go do this?
1: Yeah, there were some cold sweats. I don't remember physically waking up in bed, you know, jumping up at any time. But there were a lot of memories to begin with. And... A lot of pain. Mm. um, And you can only watch so much TV. I realized I had to get out and start doing things. And after, I think it was six weeks, was the first day I went back to the gym. And that consisted of me getting on an exercise bike and just pedaling it. So
0: did you have the prosthetic at this time?
1: No. No. So I went through eight months of rehab, the last surgery, and then there was another six weeks of rehab. And then at that time, we started talking to the prostheticians about prosthetics.
0: Did you start the Wounded Warrior Games after you had the prosthetic or before?
1: After. And when I watched that video in the hospital, I turned to my wife and I told her, you know, I wanted to go. And at that time, I just wanted to go and experience watching everyone else do it. Mm. And um, I got my prosthetic um, the end of May. Um, a friend of mine, the year before, he was paralyzed in an ATV accident, and he asked me to join. A charity team that for the rehab center that he went to, and we did Ragnar. He's paralyzed from chest down, and he How did do a hand, hand bike. Oh. that's that's amazing. Good for yeah. him. Yeah, so fast forward to October 2017. I go to Baltimore and I naturally registered to compete. And I get there, and it was a two day event. And they had workshops that talked about adaptations and movements and stuff. You know, you never or at least I didn't realize I lost three fingers. What? Maybe a pound, but in total weight, but it throws you off center. You're off balance and That's
0: interesting. I would never have thought that.
1: Yeah, and it There was only one bone that was broken in my wrist, but for 12 weeks, I had 10 pins, a plate, and a half dozen screws holding everything together in my wrist, so... I can't even imagine the pain.
0: You know, you're talking about it in hindsight and it's been a while. And so it's been relegated to sort of a list of things that happened to you. But I'm sure that the events and going through it were much more filled with pain and fear and unknowing and just that journey of getting from A to Z to a place where you've dealt with it positively. But that's a process. That's a really detailed emotional
1: process. It is with a lot of ups and downs, you know, mm-hmm. sitting at home, looking at my hand day in and day out, I'll go to a black place real quick and anyone would. Mm-hmm. So that's why my goal is to get out and do as much as possible.
0: Keep yourself busy. Yes, so there you were at the wounded warrior games and it sounds like you went to watch thinking you'd watch but you decided to sign up for competition is this where you decided that you wanted to start inspiring others with your own story or how did that unfold
1: yeah as i met and i've met so many individuals that have had accidents birth defects whatever the case, you know, missing body parts and stuff over the last couple of years now. And they are the most amazing people out there. They're not afraid to tell you how it is, to tell their stories. And all of them are amazing stories. I have one friend that quadruple amputee. She lost both feet and both hands. How? Um she has Crohn's disease and it went septic and oh. in order to save her life they had to amputate both her hands and her feet. Wow, I'll bet you meet
0: some amazing people because you're in this space where people have these really traumatic and tragic stories behind them, but then also these stories of overcoming. You know, I mean, if they're competing in these games and this is where you're meeting these people, these are people that are taking really, really hard things and turning them around for in really positive ways. So yeah, I imagine there are some really amazing people.
1: Yeah, and you know, we're not afraid to tell our stories. The sad thing about life now is hearing the stories of how many people commit suicide for little things as teenagers' bad grades or a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that. And it, you know, it's just so sad. That they think the world's over for something so simple. There's
0: got to be more to the story than that. I just can't picture that, you know, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. I want to believe that they're stronger than that.
1: Yeah, there's more to every story. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> we never know the full story till the end.
0: Ah, uh, so true. So, what happened at the Wounded Warrior
1: Games? So I went there competing, and I was the oldest competitor there. People from all over the world, uh, Brazil, Norway, and it was kind of funny. I was the kid in the candy store just absorbing everything there, trying to meet people, hear their story, and absorb everything. And we did four workouts that day. And at the end of the day, they um, were given out the awards. And uh, I compete in the standing upper division, meaning I have upper extremity loss. And Sarah, the director of the Crossroads Athletic Association, she um is giving the awards out and I'm videotaping it and she goes and in second place is Jeff Solberg and I'm just sitting there videotaping away and she kind of leans over and she goes and in second place is (laughs) Jeff Solberg. The time it hit me and I about fell over, I handed the camera to my wife (laughs) videotape this now (laughs) that's me (laughs) how exciting your first time there wow yeah yeah but it shows life isn't over i have so many blessings i wake up each day counting my blessings you know i smoked for 20 years (laughs) And back in my young adult, I did drugs and stuff. And I overcame all of those. And to be as athletic as I am this day with all the challenges and what I've put myself through for so many years before is a blessing you know and Mm -hmm. just because someone says you can't do it doesn't mean you can't do it
0: love that and i love this theme of it isn't over you know when something bad happens there is life after whatever it is it's a process of course going through those those dark and swampy horrible places that none of us really ever want to be in. But it's not the end. There is light on the other side. There's opportunities, there's possibilities, and and you get to create those in your own creative way of living the story that you want. But I think also you don't always know what those opportunities are going to be. I've spoken with a number of people on interviews, a gal who had her leg, you know, was similar to you with the competition, but she had her leg paralyzed. But because of it, she got to run marathons in the handicap division all over the world, the top marathons. And it gave her an opportunity that she wouldn't have had if she hadn't had the paralysis in her leg. And so sometimes you just have to have faith. You just have to realize that you can create things, but you also don't know all the opportunities that are going to come to you.
1: And that's exactly it. You know, I have opportunities every day opening up to me Um, going forward. Right now, you know, I am the oldest adaptive CrossFit competitor. Cool. And have more competitions. Are you having so much fun? I am. It's getting a little expensive. I'm looking for sponsorship now because um, here in Utah, the adaptive community's real small. I'm trying to build up the network and get people talking. So most of the competitions I go to are out of state, mm. and then also in the next few weeks to a couple of months, I am going to try and at least knock on the door of setting some records on indoor rowing in the adaptive 50 and over class.
0: Oh, good luck. That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: we are getting to the end of our time here, but there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. I know that you have made a decision to use your story to inspire others. And I know that the adaptive CrossFit is a big part of your, you know, what you love and what you are taking from the things that have happened and what you're involved in. And I Is that inspiring others and the adaptive CrossFit, are those working together as you see your future? And how has the adaptive CrossFit changed the way that you see yourself?
1: Well, for the working out and stuff, so I don't do any prescription drugs to speak of right now. My hand hurts 24-7, 365 days a year. And when it hurts the least or feels the best is after a workout. When I have the blood pumping, the endorphins, the adrenaline all flowing through, that's when the pain is the least. So that's part of my drive Mm. to working out and being healthy, but also trying to inspire other people to do the same because if you're sitting around your mind will go to that pain sure so by keeping the mind active the that's pain a great influence. idea
0: And it's very proactive. I like what you're doing. You're saying, these are some actions that I can take to make my situation, to make my story better turn out the way I want it to. It's not, like you said, it's not like your mom wishing or waiting or hoping something gets better. It's very action oriented.
1: Yeah. And these individuals I work out with, you know, they're in wheelchairs, yet the adaptive CrossFit, we adapt workouts around their needs and they can do activities they can lift weights barbells sitting in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. they can crawl out of the wheelchairs i mean if an individual goes to pt being paralyzed the first thing they're teaching them is how to get in and out of their wheelchairs And ironically, a couple of my friends, one out of Canada, he's been paralyzed for 20 years. And just recently, he posted a video where he did a sit-up. Wow. And it's by doing all these activities, yeah, the nerves aren't there, but the associated muscles are still there and they rub together and they build a little bit. And, you know, they're not pretty (laughs) sit-ups, but (laughs) for a paralyzed person in a wheelchair doing a sit-up, that's a big accomplishment.
0: Absolutely. That's awesome. So what are some specific things that you're doing to help inspire others?
1: I will go and talk. Danny group, I've gotten together with shop classes, talking Mm. about safety. Sure. And just, you know, whether it be a religious group, a work group, or social group, I'll talk to them about overcoming challenges. Life has a Very dear and new meaning since my accident. And anything I can do to help people in their life is what I'm looking to do.
0: I love that. You have a good heart. Thank you. If you could undo this accident, would you?
1: No. No. The stuff it's taught me, the people I've met, I accept it, and it's my new life. And that's how I've looked at things from the beginning, is just like a toddler seeing how to do things. You know, there's a big world out there, and I... I'm going out and seeing what I can do. You know, I've tried a few things. I tried rock climbing a couple of months ago. And, yeah, I made it to the top. Nice job. That
0: would not be easy.
1: (laughs) It wasn't easy. It was very stressful. And, you know, yeah, I did it. It's one of those, okay, check it off. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because my daughter loves to rock climb. And so I go down and I watch her climb. It's a little bit more challenged than what I want to do now. You kind of need
0: fingers for that. That's a
1: really finger-involved sport. And that was the mental challenge of it. Mm -hmm. I tried it both without my prosthetic and my prosthetic without the prosthetic i'm trying to have faith in a thumb and a pinky (laughs) and then the new thing with the prosthetic there's no touch sensation right yeah so the faith in okay is this a hold me while I release my other hand to move it to the next halt. No, that makes perfect sense.
0: So speaking of hard things, through this whole ordeal, what was the hardest part? Mental, physical, emotional? What was the hardest part of all of this? And maybe I shouldn't say
1: was, maybe I should say is. The mental challenges happened to retrain my brain and... Train it multiple ways, too. You know, with the fact that I have prosthetics and stuff, like with my myoelectric hand, it works off muscle sensors and sensations. And I close the fingers by pinching my index and middle finger together And I open them by moving my pinky sideways. Mm. So, you know, I walk up to something Mm -hmm. and go to pick it up. I have to think about it differently. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Throughout all of this there, obviously you've learned some lessons. What would you say is maybe the most important lesson that you've learned?
1: never give up to you know life we never know what's going to happen in life but the individuals that I have met my accident was minor to some of them they inspire me as much as I inspire them you know we have a Mutual respect for each other in the sense that none of us wishes we were in the other person's. Mm-hmm. Shoes. Sure. We accept ours and we work within our own challenges.
0: So if there are people out there listening to this that are themselves or have family members that have been injured, what are some of the resources, websites, or groups that you would recommend they check out?
1: Social media is big. Here in Utah, there is an amputation network that meets once a month in Salt Lake called Sky's the Limit can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and you just google whatever your challenge is and they're out there. I mean, that's the nice thing about technology is it makes the world small. No,
0: so true. So Wounded Warrior is one of the ones that you've worked with. Is there anything else like that that's on a bigger national or international level that you've found helpful?
1: There's some assembly required. There's a big foundation out of Texas that works with amputees. And there's lots of places out there that Wasatch Adaptive, You can go learn to ride bikes, ski in the wintertime, all types of stuff. National Ability Center. Well, Jeff,
0: thank you for sharing your story with us. And thank you for being the type of person that takes action to find the silver lining, to find the good things for adding to the whole of humanity by trying to inspire and live big through this kind of tragedy and challenge do you have any parting thoughts
1: I just want everyone to know that life isn't over with an accident that you can wake up tomorrow it's a new day and one of the books that helped me through things is Way of the Peaceful Warrior Live in the Now You can't change the past, and the future is not here yet. So when things are getting rough and stuff, just sit down and start breathing. Live in the now.
0: I love that. Thank you for that advice. That's great advice to end on. Thank you for being here with us, Jeff.
1: Thank you, Lori.
0: Michelle Obama said, You should never view your challenges as a disadvantage. Instead, it's important for you to understand that your experience facing and overcoming adversity is actually one of your biggest advantages, unquote. I believe Jeff exemplifies this. He's a great example of taking a challenging situation and finding the silver lining, making the best of it, taking it a step further to try and encourage others. Your challenge for this week is to think about what your largest challenge is right now. At this moment in time, can you find five things to be grateful for regarding this challenge? What are you learning from it? What people has it brought into your life? What opportunities has it created? Give it a little thought and you'll find that there's always a silver lining. And finding it not only broadens your perspective... It's also the key that starts to change the energy and the anxiety that surrounds that challenge in your life. Have a great week out there creating your best life stories. And I ask that you share this episode with someone you feel it might inspire. And we'll see you next week on the Love Your Story podcast. You can always go to the website at loveyourstorypodcast.com for access to all the episodes and all of the tools. The 21 Life Challenges are available on there, as well as the 5 Steps for Reframing Your Life Stories um, online course.